a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. What is the value of a life? In the aftermath of 9-11, one man was tasked with the, the impossible. Uh, to assign a monetary value to each individual life lost in the wake of that truly American tragedy. Uh, That man was Kenneth Feinberg, and he joins us now. Ken, thanks for joining us today. Glad to be here. Thank you. Uh, So you had, uh, again, in the aftermath of of 9-11, I I have been so looking forward to our conversation today because sometimes we kind of casually throw that around in terms of the value of a life. And it's easy to get caught in the platitudes of it all. And you really did have a an incredible task. Uh, you were the special master of the U.S. government September 11th Victim Compensation Fund. Uh, and you actually had to put a value, a monetary value, on the life. Tell us the backstory to that. Thirteen days after the 9-11 attacks, Congress passed a law. And the law simply said anyone who died, any the, fa- the surviving family members of one who died on 9-11, the airplanes, the World Trade Center, the Pentagon, or anyone who survived but was physically injured as a result of the terrorist attacks, could voluntarily enter a special fund uh, and receive compensation funded entirely by the public taxpayer public money from the U.S. Treasury. You didn't have to. If you'd rather, you could go litigate in a court uh, against the World Trade Center, the airlines, the security guard companies, the mass port and the Port Authority of New York. You could do that. But if you'd rather short-circuit all of that and come into a special fund, waive your right to sue, I'll take money from Feinberg and sign a release. I will not sue. Uh, That was the option. And for 33 months, that program was in place. Mm, That is uh, that is amazing. So let's dig into that just a a little bit. Uh, As you began that process, uh, obviously, that's a that's a fascinating calculation. And are all lives valued the same? Was the CEO uh, in that corner office at the top uh, the same value uh, as the person who was uh, cleaning the restrooms as a janitor uh, at the bottom? And everyone Not in at between. all. Not at all. If you have to waive your right to sue, I will not go to court and sue the airlines. I had no choice. Yeah. Every individual received a different amount of compensation, just as courts do Every day in every city and county and rural courthouse in our country, what would the victim have earned over a work life? Add to that pain and suffering, emotional distress. And that is what judges and juries and lawyers do every day in 50 states. The hard part for me was twofold. First, 
When somebody goes to court in Salt Lake City or Boise, Idaho or New York City, it's one person suing a company or an insurance company. It's one-on-one. In 9-11, I had almost 3,000 death claims and another 2,300 physical injury claims. And you know this, Boyd, everybody counts other people's money. So if I'm awarding $2 million to a victim who died in the World Trade Center and his wife or husband or whoever filed the claim, um, um, Mr. Jones, your wife died and you're going to receive tax-free from the taxpayer $2 million. What do you mean? My next-door neighbor's getting $3 million. Mm-hmm. What do you have against my, my husband? You never even met him. And uh, what do you have against my wife? You never even met her. And, I mean, that was what was really problematic and challenging for me was the emotion, yeah. not the calculations. The calculations, judges and juries do that. I did that. Sure. The problem was the anger, the frustration, the disappointment, the uncertainty. Uh, very emotional people. The fun was set up, you know, just 13 days after the attacks. They yeah. hadn't even found bodies yet down in the World Trade Center. Wow. Yeah, that is just fascinating. I want to get into, uh, you have a book uh, called What is Life Worth? And you go through kind of an eight-part plan or strategy that you use as you uh, that's right. approach that. And... I In that book, that's a memoir that I wrote after I completed my work in 2005. And that book, What Is Life Worth?, was designed to lay out not only how I did the calculations for 5,300 dead and injured, yeah. but more importantly, the stories I heard in private from family members that are absolutely chilling. Mm. And that book laid that out. Yeah, so important. This is one of those uh, where we're we're glad we have the extended inside sources now so that we can stay with the question a little longer. And uh, we're very excited that uh, Kenneth Feinberg has agreed to stay with us a little longer and continue the conversation because I want to get into some of those conversations you had with some of those families of victims uh, and also some of the other work you're doing as we explore this whole idea of what is the value of a life. And Mr. Feinberg, I, I want to continue. You mentioned um, about some of the emotional conversations that, that you weren't really going to use words like justice and fairness uh, in your conversations with uh, the families of these victims. Uh, tell us about some of those conversations and what you learned. You learned that uh, if you want to really empathize with victims in private, in confidence, the less you say is the better. Lady comes to see me, 26 years old, sobbing. Mr. Feinberg, I lost my husband. He was a firefighter at the World Trade Center, and he left me with our two children, six and four. Now, you're going to provide me $2.6 million in compensation, tax-free. I want it in 30 days. I said to her, Mrs. Jones, why do you need the money in 30 days? This is public money. It may take 60 days or 90 days. No. 30 days. I said, why? Why? I'll tell you why, Mr. Feinberg. I have terminal cancer. I have 10 weeks to live. 
my husband was going to survive me and take care of our two children. Now they're going to be orphans. And I have got to get this money while I have my faculties. I have to set up a trust with a guardian. I don't have a lot of time. Well, we ran down to the treasury. We accelerated the payment. Eight weeks later, she died. Uh, it's the emotional overhang of these stories. Yeah. Another woman, Mr. Feinberg, I lost my husband. He was a firefighter at the World Trade Center. He saw that 20 people were trapped in the lobby of the World Trade Center. He ran in and rescued them. Then he saw another 20 were trapped. He ran back in and brought them to safety. Mr. Feinberg, while my husband was running across the World Trade Center Plaza, he was killed by someone who jumped from the 103rd floor of the World Trade Center and hit him like a missile, killing them both. If he had taken one step either way, he'd be alive today. Don't tell me there's a God, Mr. Feinberg. There is no God who would, who would allow my husband to die this way. Stories like that. Mm, so hard. Uh, as you went through that process, uh, and again, uh, uh, in many of your interviews, uh, you've, you've focused on kind of the pragmatism, the strategic thinking of working through these incredibly difficult, complex uh, things. Right. But, uh, but so many people who know you and know you well uh, have said that it's really your compassion and your capacity for empathy uh, that uh, you've really developed over the years of navigating these tricky waters uh, that really drives um, so much of your work. Uh, I want to ask you as we as we kind of come full circle here, uh, what has surprised you and uh, what have you learned uh, over the years in terms of the value of a life? Well, what surprised me, of course, is by ta um, dealing with so many thousands of victims over 40 years, uh, victims react uh, in such diverse ways, human nature, every anger, disappointment, frustration, uncertainty, uh, re human reaction is as diverse as human nature itself. The other thing I've learned personally and um, I'm, sure, I'm sure you know all about this, but I've learned uh, don't plan too far ahead. I've become much more fatalistic. Um, people may think they know what they want to do with their lives and may plan every detail. Life has a way, Boyd, of, of throwing curveballs at people. You may think you know what your life's course will be, but uh, sooner or later, life has a way of changing, modifying the best laid plans. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And uh, final question for you today, uh, and it is the question that uh, you have posed, that you put in your book as the, the title. Uh, from all of your experience, what is the value of a life? The value of a life in America, this is very important. The value of a life in America is a calculation dollars and cents. What would the victim have earned but for the disaster and some amount for pain and suffering? Do not value lives as human beings by taking into account things like dignity, love, loyalty, integrity, um, um, charity. A rabbi or a priest can look at those issues. But 
that if you're going to be in a courtroom and in a court of law, the stockbroker or the banker will receive more from the judge and jury than the waiter, the busboy, the cop, the fireman, or the soldier. That's the way it is. That's the way our system has always been. And it doesn't sit well with many people who feel that it's unfair. But when I work in these horrible tragedies, I try to avoid words like fair and just. What's fair and just about any of this? It's mercy. That's what it is. It's, it's, it's mercy. And I think that's the only way you can look at this. Great insight, uh, fascinating read, and uh, incredible work uh, that you've spent a lifetime on. Uh, Mr. Feinberg, thanks for joining us on Inside Sources. Thank today. you very much. Bye. Uh, I think that's just such a fascinating conversation. And when you look at life in those terms, in terms of the compensation fund side of things, uh, you get a certain calculation. Uh, and then, of course, there's so many other things to calculate uh, that you can never put a dollar on. And, and those are the things that uh, I think most of us hold most dear. Uh, I think one of the things that uh, Mr. Feinberg was alluding to was the fact that any one of these families or these uh, family members of these victims uh, would give all the money back, uh, and many would even give their own life uh, to have that loved one back from a tragedy, whether that was 9-11, uh, whether it was a, a tragic shooting, uh, a fatal accident uh, on an airplane or whatever it may be. Uh, I think Ultimately, when you look at whatever that value of a life is in dollars and cents pales in comparison uh, to what the value of that life in terms of potential uh, and past and future impact. And there are so many, especially coming off of 9-11 and so many who have given their lives in the service of our country. uh, The other thing that we've never been able to properly calculate was what is the value of the life that gave the last full measure of devotion, that allowed one more person to be free, that allowed freedom to stand for just one more day, that uh, enabled a little girl to go to school and get an education. Uh, That's the value of life. And uh, no courtroom, uh, no dollar amount will ever add up to the difference that people give in their lives in many of these tragedies. We're going to step aside for one last commercial break. When we come back, we'll pick up with some fascinating words from Justice Clarence Thomas on the most dangerous branch of government. And it's not what you think. Find out what it is coming up next. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.